Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of 1 Peter 5. Your tax-deductible contributions enable us to continue our work to restore Catholic culture and rebuild Catholic tradition. Make a real difference in the church. Go to 1peter5.com forward slash donate today. You're listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. It is a real joy for us. Rebuilding Catholic Culture, Restoring Catholic Tradition. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. My name is Steve Skojek. I am your host, and it's been a really long time. We haven't done a podcast since June. This has been an absolutely crazy year. I don't know how it's been for you. I've talked to a lot of people who feel the same way. Um, I spent, I, I honestly don't even know how much of this year I've spent on the road. Um, family issues, long distances away, cross country trips. Um, the month of July, I was away from home for 19 days out of, out of the month. Um, and it wasn't the only time. It's been um, it's been a lot of unexpected turmoil. Uh, as I have alluded to in some of my posts, there have been family crises that have brought very unexpected suffering, um, difficulties that we are still working through. Um, we are in the process of selling our home and moving, uh, and there's a lot of... Uh, of stress and difficulty related to that, that has um, definitely impeded my ability to record podcasts. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't have a studio. I work from a home office. And so being able to find that quiet time to do this uh, with focus and, uh, and an ability to, to work without a lot of things going on in the background uh, can be challenging sometimes. So there's been a lot going on. Um, something I would say to you, that I, I've heard a lot of people talking about how 2016 has not been a good year. And on the surface, I, I guess I would agree. I mean, it's been, in some respects, the worst year I can remember in terms of some of the bad things that have happened. But I don't think that that's the whole story. Um, in fact, I think it's been a good year where bad things have happened or you might even be able to say it's been, I mean, if you really want to push the idea that it's been a bad year, it's been a bad year, but good things have been drawn out of, of the evil of this year. And I really would not be willing to discount the, the good things. Um, I especially find that it is important when you're faced with a lot of difficulties to exercise a daily practice of gratitude. This is common in, in a lot of self-help thinking these days. Um, you know, and a lot of that is very, it's very sort of, it's not new age, but I mean, it's very all about positivity and, and self-reflection and mindfulness and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of it's not rooted in, 
any real theology or an understanding of the human person as as you know a creature that has an immortal soul or a relationship with God or any of that. But that doesn't mean that the concepts that are there don't have value. And gratitude is one of those cross-platform things. You know, we go to the mass for for four purposes. The four ends of the mass are adoration, thanksgiving, which is gratitude, um, reparation or propitiation, and petition. So one of the four ends of the mass is gratitude. Gratitude is, is a daily practice both in the spiritual life and in the life of natural virtue in order to recognize the good things that we have and not let the bad things that happen to us overwhelm us. And it's a matter of justice. We are given good things and we show gratitude for the good things that we have. Now, I've had a lot of really difficult things happen this year that have been extremely hard to, de- to deal with. Um, but then I look around at the things that I have, the good things. And I mean, it's more than just the material things, although I'm appreciative of those. I have a place to live. I have food on the table. Um, I'm able to put gas in the tank of my car. I have work, uh, not just work, but work that I actually feel called to and enjoy. Um, but I have a family. I have beautiful children. I have an incredible wife. I have friends. I have uh, this this faith, this Catholic faith that despite all the things that are happening in and to the church, we have been given this incredible gift that brings us eternal salvation. And you know, no matter how stupid or even evil the statements are that I read throughout the week that come from the Vatican or come from the German bishops or from the Pope himself, on On Saturday, I can still go to confession and have my sins forgiven. On Sunday, I can still go to Mass. Um, If if the timing was better, I could go every day. Uh, But on Sunday, I can still get to Mass, and I can receive the Eucharist. I can receive these salvific gifts given to us by our Lord that are permanent and unchangeable. And, And we have these things. And so every morning... When I get up and I take my kids to school, we say morning prayers together in the car. And there are several prayers that we say. And then there's a spontaneous prayer I say at the end. And the first thing I do every day, and I want them to remember this, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for, you know, the beautiful sunrise and and for the cool morning. Uh, Thank you for the gift of our lives that we were able to wake up today uh, and, and know you and love you and serve you again in a new day. Thank you for all the good things that you have in store for us today. The opportunities we have to exercise virtue and to use our gifts uh, and to love and serve one another. I mean, these are prayers that I pray with my children. They're for me and for them because you're reminding yourself. It's kind of like those people who do affirmations in the morning. A lot of people swear by them and people think they're kind of, you know, a little bit a little bit fuzzy um, kind of a thing to do. But the idea behind affirmations is you're programming your subconscious mind to stop shooting yourself in the foot, to stop saying that you can't accomplish certain things. You're telling your subconscious mind, these are the things I want to work on. And so if I repeat it to myself enough that I will be successful at this, I will begin to believe it and act accordingly. Now, I've had a lot of people recommend affirmations to me. I haven't been able to make myself do it yet. 
but I do recognize the power of positive thinking at the beginning of a day. Exercising gratitude through prayer, you're thanking God for the good things that you have. And what you take with you from that point forward is, I have good things in my life. I have things for which I should be thankful. And when you begin to be tempted or to want to sin or to, you know, whatever it is, you kind of have this inherent conflict in yourself because you say, well, why would I do that when I have so much to be thankful for? What an act of ingratitude toward God that I would recognize all the good thing that good things that he's given to me and then act so selfishly. So there it's sort of this counteractive thing. And I think that right now I'm hearing from so many people who are enduring such intense and unprecedented suffering. And it's different. I mean, God gives everybody different suffering according to their ability to handle that suffering. And, and as I've said before, I think of it sort of as like a workout. I think of it as, um, you know, when you want to lift weights, you, you will hit a point where you plateau and you're not, you're not gaining strength anymore. What you're doing is you're just maintaining the strength that you have, unless you add more weight, more weight than you can quite handle. It's not too much. It's just enough. It's that increased resistance. And then that increased resistance is something that you can just barely lift. And as you begin lifting that more and more and more, you build that strength. You fill in that gap with more strength. Uh, you're literally building more muscle so that you're capable of handling the heavier load. We do that on a spiritual level. God gives us more suffering than we can handle, sometimes a lot more than we can handle. And the difference between that and weight training is he's actually helping us lift it. Um, But we do grow in strength by participating in enduring that heavier cross. That heavier cross is a workout for the soul. So, There are many, many of us right now, especially I find those of us who understand the unprecedented crisis that we are in, who recognize what is really going on in the church, and we're just being absolutely brutalized. Um, Our families are being spiritually attacked. We're facing various kinds of hardship, whether it's financial, whether it's health, uh, whether it's wayward children, there's just a lot of things going on. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of difficulty, uh, you know, unexpected grief. And, and I, I go from friend to friend, from family to family, and it's unexpected cancer. And it's, you know, my father just passed away totally out of the blue. And it's, you know, my kid ran off and, and has chosen a sinful life. Or it's, um, you know, we just lost our only source of income and we have all these bills coming due or whatever it is. It's heavy stuff, vocational stuff. People who have vocations to the priesthood or the religious life and either can't find a place to exercise them or something's been taken away, an opportunity, an avenue that they thought they could explore. We're all being hammered right now. And I see this as, well, again, I mean, it's a funny metaphor for me to use because I'm not a big workout guy, but it's training. It's like Olympic training. We are being trained to deal with something. Maybe it's more like military training. Maybe that's the better thing. Maybe it's basic training. We are being trained to go into a combat situation and have a basic level of, of readiness, of spiritual readiness. We have to, I was just telling someone this this morning who was going through something really difficult, just 
a great opportunity came up for them, something they've been looking for forever. And then it fell through. And it was the answer to so many prayers. And then just like, it was gone. And they were like, well, what do I do now? (laughs) And I, I hate being that guy, but I said, you suffer. That's what we're being asked to do right now. We're being asked to suffer. And we're tempted constantly to want to do this activity thing, especially people from America have this need to be involved in activism. Like sitting back and praying and being contemplative is not a thing that feels like action. We're not doing anything. We talk about it a lot, but it doesn't feel like it accomplishes anything because we're totally not even not in the driver's seat. We're like in the trunk. (laughs) We just don't know where we're headed. Um, And we're having to trust way more than we feel comfortable. We want to go, 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 do, 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 right? But that's not what we're being asked right now. We're witnessing the the mystical crucifixion of Christ's bride, of the church, who endures the same suffering as her spouse, as her divine bridegroom, with whom she is one flesh. And her crucifixion is long. And it's not just the crucifixion, it's the passion, it's the agony. And I was saying to this person, I mean, how do you think that St. John and our Blessed Mother and St. Mary Magdalene felt following Christ as he went through his passion. What do you think it felt like to watch him endure all of that? Do you think they didn't want to do something? Of course they wanted to do something. Even Mary, whose will was perfectly conformed to our Lord's, how can a mother watch her son endure that and not want to bodily intervene? Of course we want to do something. Of course we want to make it stop. Of course we see what's happening to the church and we want to fight. But our means here are limited. God is allowing these things for a reason. He is allowing those who love him to suffer for a reason, to build our endurance. It's actually kind of terrifying if you think about it. Like, if this is the training that we're going through, what is the war going to be like? But I also believe that one of the things he is training us to understand is that there is no human solution to any of these problems. Nobody is going to save us. You know, we keep hearing, oh, you know, the African bishops will save us. The Polish bishops will save us. The whatever. No, they won't. In fact, nobody seems to even have the courage to step forward in a meaningful way and challenge the open uh, promotion of sacrilege that is now coming from Rome from the Pope himself. Again, usually through his surrogates, but, but definitely... You know, endorsements. So look at right now, we've just seen in the past week that the Cardinal Vicar of Rome has released instructions that will allow the divorced and remarried to receive communion while not living in continence under certain circumstances. We've seen this in the Argentinian uh, directives, which the Holy Father 
uh, approved of and said there can be no other interpretation. We could reach back as far as the initial release of Amoris Laetitia, and we saw this in the statement of the Filipino Bishops' Conference. Germany is going off the rails, and it's not surprising they've been off the rails for a long time. We're now even seeing more overt recognition of of homosexual unions. Uh, we had the story just uh, yesterday about how the parish bulletin for St. Stephen's, which is the cathedral church of the Diocese of Vienna, the... The, the, the Episcopal See of Cardinal Schönborn, who is um, Pope Francis's hand-picked interpreter of Amoris Laetitia, right? He's the guy, he says, you have to go to to get the understanding. Well, in this parish bulletin, in his church, they are celebrating a, a homosexual couple, two men who have adopted a son. And, and apparently, not only was the son baptized there at St. Stephen's, it's a beautiful church, by the way. I can only imagine what those who built it, they're just rolling in their graves. Um, but not only was the, the child baptized there by, by parents, quote-unquote, who obviously have no intention of living the faith, but their union was somehow blessed by the priest at St. Stephen's, the cathedral church of the Archdiocese of Vienna in Austria. We had, um, there was a story that came out, I think, yesterday. Let me find it. Yeah, so it was a story, uh, came out a couple of places. Marco Tassati reported on it in Italian, but the UK version of EWTN um, put out an article, I think it was yesterday. They said, in a book-length interview published next week, Johann Bonny, the Bishop of Antwerp, this guy's bad news, we've covered him multiple times, uh, and he was a you know favored member at the Synod, <laughs> not surprisingly. Uh, Johann Bonny, Bishop of Antwerp in Belgium, proposes a right for blessing homosexual persons in so-called same-sex marriages. Uh, also divorced and remarried couples and cohabiting couples formally referred to as couples living in sin. Archbishop Bonny makes his proposals in a conversation with Roger uh, Burgrave and Ilse van Halst, published in the book, May I? Thank you. Sorry. Frank dialogue about relationships, marriage, and the family. The article goes on. Bishop Bonnie proposes that the church offer non-sacramental recognition, acceptance, and blessing of individuals in illicit relationships. He outlines one possibility by asking, can he as a bishop provide a ritual to believers who live together and wish each other the best in the light of God's presence, similar to parents giving a cross to their children? He argues that a cross is not a sacrament, belong, but belongs to the order of sacred signs and gestures. He wonders if the church can establish shades between the nothing for unmarried couples and the all of sacramental marriage by recognizing what is already and simultaneously see what is not. It goes on. I'm not going to read more. Um, but just to give you an indication... These stories are coming out pretty much every day now. Um, they're very strong, obviously, in Europe, in the German-speaking world in particular. Belgium is, is a nightmare. Um, but, you know, we're seeing little sprinklings of this in Asia, in Latin America, in Rome. Um, some people actually wonder, well, why do you keep reporting on this? We know that it's bad. We know that um, this is going on. We know that 
that Francis endorses this stuff? Well, because it's our job to continue to document what is happening for ourselves and for future generations. It's also our job to let them know that we know and that we're watching. Sometimes stories do actually end up leading to people walking things back. It's interesting. The Vatican chose to double down on Pope Francis writing that letter to the Argentinian bishops. But what a lot of people didn't pick up on is that after the news, and we were among the first in the English-speaking world to report on this, after Catholic news outlets reported on those directives from the Argentinian bishops, including the one that said that, that those who are not living in continents, who are in, in unions following a valid sacramental marriage, could have recourse to the sacraments of confession and communion based on certain nebulously defined, not defined circumstances, right? So, so communion for the divorced and remarried uh, was a possibility for them. Within, I think, 24 hours, that statement disappeared from the internet. They took it down, said they were revising it and taking it under advisement. When these things get covered, some of these guys still have enough of a sense of shame to retract the things that they do in the darkness from the light. I think that is becoming less and less of the way that they react because the Pope is basically giving them cover. He's endorsing them. He's saying, I'm the boss, and I'm saying you can do this, and in fact, I endorse what you're doing. Ironically, there are still people who are in denial about this. In fact, I just ran across somebody a couple days ago who refused to read anything published on 1 Peter 5, I assume because um, he believed that uh, he didn't like being, he just didn't like being told that these things were going on. He tried to to blame it on me and on the way that we write and on the substance of, you know, what we write and all this stuff. And he's, I won't give a click. I'm not going to give ad revenue. Okay, whatever. Basically what you're saying is things have gotten so bad that anybody who's telling you the truth and no matter how much they source it, you're going to stick your fingers in your ears and you're going to cover your eyes and you're going to go, la, 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 I can't hear you. Give me a break. Some people don't want to know the truth because it's hard. The truth is hard. But again, these things, as they continue to happen, we've got to document them. We've got to report on them. They may be obvious to some of you, but they're still not obvious to everyone. We need to act as the counter narrative to those who are trying to continue to tell us that we are in the midst of this beautiful new springtime because we're not. We're in the dead of winter, guys. You know that. If you're listening to this, you you most likely know that. And we don't have bishops standing forth uh, opposing these things. Um, It was proposed to me this week by a friend that we begin, like it's now the moment that we begin to push our bishops and say, you know, we now have the Diocese of Rome under the Pope's direct supervision saying that communion for the divorced and remarried is possible. You need to push back on this, push back against Rome, push back against the Pope. I like the idea, kind of. But I find myself wondering, if they haven't done this already, why will they? And then they've managed to cloud this whole thing in such 
theological ambiguity. Uh, they're relying on the complexities of subjective culpability. This idea of, well, if people don't really know that they're sinning, then technically it's not a mortal sin uh, because they don't have full knowledge and they can't give full consent and yada yada. And there is some theological truth to that. So what winds up happening is you then begin to have to deconstruct the examples and the anecdotes and say, hold on. Every Catholic who's married knows that marriage is a forever sacrament and that if you have a valid sacramental marriage, you can't engage in another sexual union without it being adultery and da-da-da-da-da. And then you, you basically have to deconstruct these arguments that are so much philosophical chaff that they throw out to throw off the scent, right? And then you have to basically prove, yes, this is sacrilege when this is allowed. And then you have to deal with the idea of the mitigating circumstances. Well, it's only certain people under certain circumstances that we haven't yet defined that are going to go through this process, right? So what does it become? It becomes this big, muddy nightmare. How do you get a groundswell of support from people who are still trying to figure out whether or not the Pope is actually saying yes, even though he said, I can say yes, period. Yes, there are sacramental opportunities now for those who are living in objectively adulterous relationships who have been given the knowledge to know better. Trying to get people to get on board a mass campaign I don't know. I don't see him doing it. And I don't see the bishops responding well. I mean, some of the bishops are taking this approach of Amoris Laetitia doesn't change anything. Well, obviously, we all know that it does. And a big part of me wants to believe that certain bishops, especially like Bishop Olmsted in Phoenix, um, he's a good bishop. He's been friendly to tradition. He's been good to the FSSP. You know, he's done some good things. I kind of want to believe that he's saying this because he's playing the game. He's going, oh, you want to write an ambiguous document that essentially flouts church teaching and divinely revealed truths about marriage and sexuality? Okay. Well, if you want to play the ambiguity game, I'm choosing to interpret it as, nope, that's not what the document's saying at all. In fact, nothing has changed. The divorced and remarried can't receive the sacraments. That's, That's my read on it. And if you want to tell me, Holy Father, that I've got it wrong, then you need to openly correct me. Go ahead. Put yourself out there. Show yourself. Maybe that's what he's doing. I hope it's what he's doing. I don't know that it's what he's doing. But when we have people still playing those games, when we have this lack of unity, when we have the 45 theologians and Catholic scholars from around the world who have just absolutely decimated Amoris Laetitia with their theological critique and censures, And by the way, some of them have received rebukes and punishment from their legitimate superiors, particularly those uh, members of that group who are religious. But there was one professor who was demoted, I believe, at a pontifical university. Uh, There was another who was threatened by his bishop over a position he had at a seminary. There's, There's blowback, unsurprisingly. There's blowback. There's been no response to this document, which absolutely has to. It demands a response. Silence, as far as I'm concerned, is is papal consent in this instance. These are damning censures that right out in the open, you read a Morris Laetitia in this obvious way, 
it leads you to heretical conclusions. Those have to be confronted and dealt with, and they will be. And see, that's the thing, and this is something I keep coming back to. These things will be dealt with. We have a lot of, you know, little armchair popes around who want to decide that Francis isn't the pope, who want to, you know, dig for the conspiracy theory collection of of reasons why the election wasn't valid or why Benedict's resignation wasn't valid or yada, yada. It's a waste. It's kind of a waste of time. I'm sorry. With respect to those of you who are concerned about those things, I've entertained them myself. But the conclusion that I keep coming to is, (laughs) to quote Mrs. Clinton, at this point, what difference does it make? And in this case, that's sincere. What difference does it make? You know, it's going to have to get sorted out, and it will. It absolutely will, and will be told, you know, at the end of whatever period of time it takes that either he was an anti pope and a heretic, or he was just the most disastrous pope in the last 1,500 years, or whatever it is. He'll be condemned. His work will be condemned. Some of it will be nullified. We will be made aware. We're on the lookout for his errors already. Is it? I mean, do any of you think that just continuing to call him Pope means that you just have to kowtow to all the craziness that he's putting out there? It's not authoritative. He's not doing authoritative stuff. He, he cannot bind the, the conscience of the faithful. He cannot demand our assent to things that contradict church teaching, especially when they are promulgated in non-authoritative ways. These are just the horrifying opinions of a really bad guy. Okay. Yes, he's leading people astray. Yes, it's disastrous. I get it. I get it. But God has allowed it. And you and I are not going to stop it. The best we can hope for is to keep shining the light on it as brightly as we can and saying, don't follow this man into sin and eternal death. Don't. If your father abuses you, if he comes home every night drunk and beats the hell out of you, it doesn't make him not your father. That doesn't mean you're a bad child or a violator of the fourth commandment because you make sure that all of your little siblings and maybe even your mom look for the signs of dad's coming home and he's going to abuse us and so let's avoid these triggers and let's make sure that, you know, we're in the other room or, you know, whatever it is. Like, whatever I have to do to avoid the abuse, whatever I have to do to distract dad so that he just sleeps it off, he's still my dad. I may hate him. I may wish that he wasn't. I may wish that he just, you know, crawled into a grave. But the fact is he's still my dad. It's my obligation to pray for him and for his conversion but it is not my obligation to put up with his abuse. That's where we are with this papacy. We are not obligated to put up with his abuse or his abuse of our mother. We don't have to take that crap from him. We don't need to keep looking for the easy out. It's way easier to just be like, well, not my real dad. Well, I don't know. I mean, did you get a DNA test? No, but I guarantee you if the DNA test was taken, it would show he wasn't my real dad. Okay, but you don't have the test. Yeah, but I just know. No, you don't know. You have things that maybe 
give you cause for suspicion. Maybe you don't share some of the same obvious genetic traits. Maybe he's short and you're, and you're tall. Maybe, you know, whatever. But until you have conclusive evidence, you're just spinning up a fantasy story by saying he's not your dad. That makes it easier for you to deal with how crappy he is to you. We just sometimes have to eat it. We have to suffer. We have to live with inconclusiveness. We have to be tormented by watching people have their faith twisted or lose it completely. And it's horrifying because we love souls and we love them for God's sake. But he's letting it happen and we've got to trust him. He will sort it out and he will make it right. He will. He just will. If he doesn't, then maybe we need to find a new religion or no religion at all. I mean, is that the road you want to go down? The thing is, of course, he's going to. Because we believe in him. But if you're going to come to the conclusion that because he doesn't do it in your timeline, then you've got to take matters into your own hands or just give up on everything altogether. Seriously? That's not. That's not going to help anything. So it's our job to go out there and, and connect these dots. Actually, it's not even our job to connect the dots. I mean, we do it sometimes. But more often than not, we just lay out the dots. And they're so close together that they form a very clear picture. We keep documenting it. Hey, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. And you may be convinced, but that guy who's been sitting on the fence for the last six months or a year, and then finally the Argentinian letter pushed him over the edge, or finally the Cardinal Vicar of Rome's instruction, knowing that that guy doesn't do anything without the Pope's approval. Maybe that pushed him over the edge. And he comes looking, and then suddenly he sees this trail of breadcrumbs back to the beginning, saying, this is what's been going on the whole time. It's consistent. And then it makes sense. So we're going to keep documenting. We just don't have any choice. And at the same time, I think in a way, God wants us to see this pattern. He wants us to recognize that there's no way out. Like I said before, nobody's coming to save us. Cardinal Sarah is not coming to save us. Cardinal Burke, not coming to save us. Bishop Schneider, not coming to save us. These all, men, all of these men are doing good things within their own purview and realm. But we don't have somebody standing up and saying, I rebuke you to the face in the episcopacy. It's just not happening. Should it be? Yeah, probably. But they all have free will. And they all probably know things I don't. So who knows what else could be going on? I don't know. I think the time has passed for things like filial appeals. I don't blame people. You know, there's this new one that they're signing on to. And I've had a lot of people suggest it to me. And, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe I should pass it on to all of you. But the last one got like 900,000 signatures and it was just summarily ignored. We're not a democracy. The church has never been a democracy. It's a monarchy. It's a hierarchy. And we're the little plebes. We're the citizens at the bottom of the pile. We cannot do what the princes of the church can do. We just, we can't. We can point it out. We can call them out on it. You know, 
we can resist, like Dennis from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, our oppression. Well, I didn't vote for you. But the fact remains, and I'm not old, I'm 37. Sorry. The fact remains that we're, we're just limited in our scope. So we can pray. We can do penance and offer it up. We can live our lives. We can devote ourselves to the study and understanding of the authentic teachings of the Catholic Church. We can devote ourselves to the richness of the traditional sacraments and devotions that have been handed on over the many generations of saints and popes and doctors of the church. And we can root ourselves and say, you're not moving us. You think you're going to reform everything? Well, over my dead body. I'm sticking to it. And then it's the long game. It's the obstinacy of standing by the truth no matter what it costs you. It's raising your kids the right way because the future generations of Catholics, especially if if so many Catholics are contracepting, we have a generational advantage. It's going to take time. The contraception thing started in the 60s. We're not that far removed from it. But if we're all having five, seven, ten kids, those of us who believe, and the people who are just Catholics in name only, you know, are having one or two, we've got this. Just give us time. Give us time. Eventually, our ideas will come back into ascendancy. They have to. It's just a matter of statistics. But we have to be on guard because the attacks aren't going to stop. The demoralizing things that are going on are not going to stop. That old joke about the beatings will continue until morale approves, that's what it feels like reading church news every day. But I just, the way I look at it, it's a battle of wills. Yeah? You want to keep throwing this stuff at me? Let's see who lasts longer. I'm not going to flinch. I'm standing my ground. You don't get past me. I'll fight until there's no fight left. I'll pray until I have no more breath. You will not win because Christ, Christ is my champion. This is not my fight to win. I already know who wins. I'm just on his side. You can't beat him. My dad can beat your dad. I don't know who your dad is. If it's not him, it's got to be the other guy. So take heart. Have a sense of humor. Find people you can joke about this stuff with. I know it's deadly serious, but you got to find some way to find an outlet for this stress. It's been really hard to come back to the podcast again. As I mentioned at the beginning, there's a lot of reasons, but not least of which is that talking about this stuff gets heavy sometimes. I lost my momentum and I just, it was really hard to get back in. So this podcast, this breaks the stalemate. I have people I need to talk to, guests that we've discussed, like it's happening. We're going to do this. And then we just, for some reason, we never sync up. We got to push through. The malaise is heavy on all of us. Just that feeling of this interminable fight, and we are at a, an enormous disadvantage. 
but there's no way out but through. You just got to keep going. You got to keep trusting. You got to recognize that when the solution finally does present itself, you're going to have no question that it was God because every other avenue will have been exhausted. And then he's going to step in and it's going to literally be a deus ex machina solution. God in the machine. He is in the machinery of the church and he will surprise us because it belongs to him. It's his church, not ours. So hopefully in the very near future, I will nail down schedule times with the guests uh, beginning, I hope, with Dr. Michael Cirillo, who has long been intending to do with me a follow-up to his previous podcast on the limits of papal infallibility and on the aftermath of Amoris Laetitia. But the good man has been finishing up a book. Uh, I don't even remember. It's something on Thomas Aquinas. Um, and it's just eaten up all of his time. So we're hoping to get him nailed down. We've got a few other guests in the hopper. If you have suggestions, please don't hesitate to let me know. I'd be willing to entertain uh, any guest um, who I think would be good uh, to talk to about any of these things. We will try to resume a semi-normal podcast production schedule for the rest of the year. And with any luck, we'll actually stick to it. So thank you for listening, and thank you for being with me as I, as I break through uh, the lack of momentum and start building steam again for a regularly scheduled podcast. We'll talk to you soon. God bless. You have been listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. This has been a production of 1 Peter 5 Incorporated, copyright 2016, all rights reserved. Please remember to visit us online at www.1peter5.com. You can join our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash 1peter5. And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash, you guessed it, 1Peter5. If you feel we have provided you with something of value, please hit our donate page located at 1Peter5.com forward slash donate and make a contribution. It's tax deductible and not only helps pay for our web hosting and the fine content we provide, but keeps food on our tables, coffee in our cups, and the lights on, which really helps us see what we're doing. Until next time, I'm Steve Skocek. Thanks for listening.